Now, this is the third week of this teaching series that we're in, Armor of God, Wake Up to the War. And tonight we're going to be talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And in a way, this is the one that I've been looking forward to uh, the most. And I'll show you why. If we could put those pictures up there. Um, actually, yeah, go back up. I'm going to go ahead and give you, just in case you, you doze at some point, I'm going to go ahead and give you this whole sermon in one sentence. And tonight it's more than just a sentence that we'll read. That's something I want us to declare, okay? I have one point tonight. That's it. Some of you are like, I'm just, I'm just glad you got a point. You know, but God fights for me, I will not fall. God fights for me, I will not fall. That is the sermon tonight. I want us to, I want us to declare this out loud, okay? You ready? Together. It's on the screen. God fights for me, I will not fail, uh, fall. Ready? This is something we need to wake up and declare every day. Remember, armor of God, wake up to the war. The truth is that there is a war going on in the heavenlies. It's not so much against us, it's against God, but because we are the children of God, we are by uh, association pulled into this war. And we've talked over and over and over about how the enemy's main objective isn't to get us to sin. He will use sin in our, in our, um, our flesh to cause havoc, but his main objective is to get us to stop giving our heart to God, to move our hearts away from God, because when our hearts are away from God, we are no longer worshipers. If you uh, haven't been tracking with this series, I encourage you to go all the way back to week one, where we talked about who our enemy is, why he is ticked, and then what do I do? And really, the rest of this series is about the what do I do. So, um, God fights for me. I will not fall. God fights for me. I will not fall. Now, I want to show you these pictures that my son Cannon drew about two to three months ago. And in some ways, this was confirmation that we were supposed to do this teaching series. I'd been contemplating it, thinking about it, kind of meditating on it. And then one day, my son draws these these pictures on a page. And you can see there's some that are ripped out, so I'm not sure which one <laughs> was ripped out, but it's gone forever as far as I know. The dog ate it. <laughs> Emma Kate may have eaten it. Um, but I wanted to show you these, okay? So first of all, you can look, see up there in that right-hand corner, that's Canon. So um, that's the one that, that did this. And he's always drawing. He's always creating. He's always in... I guess you'd say imagination mode. Um, but I want you to look at this. I don't know if you can read it very well. And his spelling is atrocious, but he is only 10. So um, I'm 40 and my spelling is pretty bad. But if you look in the left-hand side, it says nunchucks of God. Can you see that? And there's a little arrows. If you, if you go down, you can see that there's some arrows that point to those as we go, just in case you can't see them. So you should be able to scroll down. Are you able to do that? Yeah, there you go. Nunchucks of God. So these are the nunchucks of God. If you go to the next one, it says the helmet of God. Isn't this cool? The next one is not the dagger of God, but it really would be considered the dagger <laughs> of God. Okay? And then you have the shield of God. These are pretty good, right? You guys see these? Okay? And then you have the axe of God. <laughs> and that's totally spelled these texts, and that's the sword. That's the sword of God. <laughs> The sword of God. Um, and then this is, it's hard to read, but I made it out, I think. It's the bow and arrow of God. It's kind of hard to see. I wish I could have blown those up. Some. And this one is probably my favorite for so many reasons. But this is the ninja star of God. Aren't these great? 
One thing about canon is, that's totally true, is any one of these weapons will be scattered all over the house because he makes them out of paper. For example, he, and I had it set out to bring so I could show you and then throw it at somebody in the, in the congregation, you know, like in a concert, you know. But he found it and he hid it away and was using it, I don't know what. But he had a ninja star of God. That's probably my favorite. I think Paul really missed it when he left the ninja star of God out of it. But he'll make nunchucks of God. He'll either like twist up paper and somehow chain them together or maybe use like paper towel dispenser, like the cardboard in the middle. And I mean, it's just crazy. But in his mind, he could literally go up against Goliath with any one of these weapons. And I know it's silly. I know it's, you know, silly. It's boyish. It's imaginative. But I love that this is on his mind. Amen. That he knows that there is an enemy. He knows that there is a battle, but most of all, he knows that unless he is armed with more than just the flesh of his hand, he's in for trouble. I love that he knows that at 10 years old. It's things that we talk about, we pray about, we think about. It's on his mind. Um, my boys and I, and imitate sometimes, but sometimes we go to dangerous places. But my boys and I love to explore. And so sometimes I'll say, all right, boys, we're going to go out into the woods. I want you to go get ready. Well, one of the first things they're going to go and grab is a pocket knife. We're going exploring in the woods, so they got to grab their pocket knife. And they'll grab other things too, sometimes a stick or whatever. I've even had them bring hatchets, the hatchet of God. But they'll bring, the first thing they do is they go get a pocket knife, because in their minds, we're probably going to run into a snake, which this time of the year is very, very true. But I love it because they think, as long as I got that pocket knife, I will overcome. That snake won't bite me. The snake's not going to get me. Amen? (laughs) And it brings this confidence. They have this confidence in their minds. They're ready for the war against the snake. And I thought about how we can say the same thing about the armor of God, because there's a good chance that we will run into the snake. What Revelation says is that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And I say this scripture a lot around here, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only objective. He wants to steal from us, rob us of our joy. If he can rob us of our joy, since the joy of the Lord is our strength, then he is able to get us weak. And if he can get us weak and pick us off, then he can bring levels of destruction to our life. How many of you know people that live destructive lives, even Christians? Even Christians. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you know a Christian, it's like, man, they live a pretty destructive life. We may not want to admit it, but the truth is, is we know a lot of Christians that aren't walking in that victory that we were talking about, singing about tonight. But here's the thing. It is true. There is an enemy. He does wage his war. He is ticked. He is going against God and the saints of God. But the good news is that if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Isn't that what Scripture says? I'm not being too plain here, am I? If God be for us, who can ever be against us? Romans 8, chapter 31. What that means is that the enemy will rise up against you. He's going to rise up against me. But how could any weapon formed against us prosper? If God's on our side. I mean, think about that. That is, a, that is a 101 of Christianity. We either believe that or we don't. The ones who believe it 
hopefully walk in it, and there's this level of, of victory, victory over sin, victory over struggles, victory over um, our past life, walking in the new, all of those kinds of things. But if you don't believe it, if you don't know it, you don't believe it, then there might be something that really kind of holds you back. We've, we've been talking this year, the theme for the year is moving forward with faith. Last week, I talked about how we, we've been moving forward, we've been chugging forward, we've been going, and some of us have gained so much ground in our faith, such confidence, things just working great in our lives, our understanding of the Lord, maybe even victory over issues in our lives. The enemy wants to come and push you back to where you were. Last week, we talked about those old places of fear, those old places of anger, those old places of rebellion, those old places if it's all about me. And he will do it if we are not aware that you, you can't prosper against me because God is for me. If God is for me, who can come against me? Not that it won't come against. I love what Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, listen, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He said, we're perplexed, and there's going to be plenty of times where we're perplexed, but we don't despair. Several places says you can count on being persecuted. Here, says, here he says we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. All the world's after us, against us, but God's still with us because he said he would be. And then he tells the Corinthians that you may even literally be struck down, but you're not destroyed. You hear what I'm saying? How many of you have felt struck down before? How many of you have felt struck down? But you're still here. Why? Because God's for you. And there's no weapon against you that can prosper unless, and we're going to talk about it, unless we put on the full armor of God. In fact, I was thinking about this particular armor. It's true that we can walk in a level of confidence because we put the full armor of God. But there's something about the one that we're on tonight. The breastplate of righteousness. That is really more about confidence than any of them. Because it's the first piece of armor. Last week we talked about the belt of truth. Which actually isn't much of an armor. It's more of an under armor. The first piece of armor that he lists. And would be the first thing that they would put on. Would be that breastplate of righteousness. And it may not be what you think. It's actually not so much a breastplate as much as it is a coat of mail. You guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen those old, um, what movie, what period would that be, you know, where they wore that? Yeah, medieval, whatever. Those really tight, tight-knit, wove, chain mail armor. You guys hear what I'm saying? That's actually what he's talking about. And if you think about what that piece of armor does, what that coat of mail, that breastplate of righteousness, that breastplate, if you think about what it does, it protects us from just about anything that might strike us. Think about this. I've got a coat of arms on, okay? I mean, I could be in battle and a sword could brush my side, but it's not going to cut me, is it? Why? Because I got this chain mail on me. You hear what I'm saying? I could be fighting. Oh, he, oh <laughs> I got a chain mail on. It didn't cut me. And you think about it, <clears throat> the only way that it could pierce that chain mail is if it was a full on frontal attack with full force, completely unguarded. But at that point, that just means you're not using any of the armor. Isn't that true? So I want you to think about what that one piece of armor does. It gives you freedom to 
fight the battle without worrying and without having to protect yourself. Can you hear me? There's so many believers that are not walking in freedom of any kind. They're fighting, they're flailing, they're, they're so worried about getting this, they're so worried. It's, everything is just, is just um, um, anxiety, doubt, worry, uh, uh. And it's because they are not daily putting on that coat of mail, that breastplate of righteousness. And really, if they don't have on the breastplate of righteousness, then what does that mean? They're completely exposed. Any little thing will cut them. A sword gets through the shield or a sword gets through your sword or whatever and it nicks you. And it sure did. It sure did get you. Why? Because you didn't have that on. And if you think about it, if I go into war knowing that any point, any little blow could take out my midsection, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to really fight. I'm going to be so worried about protecting this little area more than using the rest of the armor. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so there's something about that coat of mail, that breastplate of righteousness, that brings a security, it brings a confidence for the rest of the battle. I can move forward with confidence. Now the main picture in that has to do with that declaration we made, that God fights for me, and if he's fighting for me, I will not fall. Because there is this built-in protection. What does he say? It's the breastplate of righteousness. Now think about that. Paul is a smart guy. He's always saying multiple things at the same time. He's looking at this soldier who would have been trained, chained to him while he's writing those letters in home, uh, house arrest we talked about last week. He's looking at this guard and he's like, man, I can see that coat of mail, that breastplate of armor that he has on there. And he likens it, just like he did truth, to the belt. He likens this piece of armor to righteousness. I don't know if at first glance we really understand what that means and the significance. But if I could just break it down super simply. Much of our effort is spent living our life, walking with the Lord, fighting the battles in our flesh with our own hands and our own strength versus walking freely in the power of God. How many times in Scripture does it say, say things like, we don't boast about our own goodness or our own righteousness. Our righteousness comes from God. There are Scriptures all over the place that talk about that. And I thought about one in particular as it relates to battlers in Isaiah, and you don't have to turn there, but if you want a reference, you can. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid. It says, For I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. There's two major references to Christ here. The first one is that word victorious. This is the NLT, and I chose it on purpose to kind of Mix it up a little bit. But most of your versions, if you look at it, will say, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love that righteous and victorious <laughs> are equated together. Because as we move forward with armor and war, thinking about that, you know, battling the enemy who comes against us, we are wanting to be victorious. Amen? 
right? The only way we're able to be victorious is through righteousness. But it's not our righteousness. And this is the second picture you see. I will uphold you or I will hold you up with my righteous, and then look what it says, right hand. Now, I don't know about you. When I read scriptures and I I see something, a lot of times it'll instantly make me think of something else in the scripture. When you hear right hand, what's the first thing you think of? Somebody, come on. Huh? Somebody, raise your hand and then I'll... That Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Remember that? The day that he, was, he went up to be with God in heaven, the, way, the day that he ascended, it said that he ascended up and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So what we know is true about God is that Jesus Christ is the one that's seated there. Amen? Scripture also says that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. So right there in that one scripture, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up. I will hold you up. And the way I'll do it was with your strength, no way. The victory that comes from the one who sits at my right hand, Jesus Christ. And it talks about in, I don't know if I wrote wrote this down, but it talks about how um, we are to put on Christ. You guys familiar with that scripture? Forgot to write it down, the reference. That we are to put on Christ. There's another one that's in there too. Isaiah 59, which we know is a messianic prophecy. It's a, it's a scripture that talks about who Christ would be. And part of that, verse 17 says, For he, talking about Christ, will put on righteousness as a breastplate. Don't you love that? He will do that. He will put on righteousness as a breastplate. And you think about his encounter with the enemy out in the desert... When the enemy came against him, attacking him with those things we talked about last week, go back and listen to the podcast, what did he confront him with? I mean, what did he battle with? God's word. He's like, I am not going to fall away from the truth of God, but I will choose righteousness here. And righteousness is choosing God all the time. Amen? He put on the righteousness, uh, righteousness as a breastplate himself and a helmet of salvation upon his head. If you, if you get into this whole idea, theologians will call, will call this imputed righteousness. Okay, this is a righteousness that is imputed by God. It's a big old churchy word. But what it means is that the, it's the righteousness of Christ that God puts on us at salvation. In other words, the day that you said, you know what, I realize I cannot live this life on my own. That there is something higher, something better, and you recognize that it was Jesus Christ who offers salvation, peace, righteousness, joy, all those things that we know he brings. And you said yes to him and you gave your life to him. You got saved. However you want to, that's, that's all semantics. But basically the day you became a born again believer, follower of Jesus Christ, something happened. God took the righteousness that is his son, Jesus, and he put it on you. He imputed it. With you, And from that day on, from that day on, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And I don't know, hopefully that's not too heady, too theological, but you guys seeing that? He imputed that righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. It's no righteousness of your own, lest any man boast, Paul says. But the righteousness of Christ that God puts on us at salvation. 2 Corinthians 5. He has made, uh, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In other words, we 
How we're made righteousness because of the work of Christ. Philippians 3.9 is a good one. Be found in him, not having my own righteousness. I'm found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. In other words, uh, a righteousness that just, that just comes from keeping rules. Has that ever worked? Are you, are, am I going too fast? Has that ever worked? Having a righteousness that just is from following the law. It never worked. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And we know the story even of Abraham. It says that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham, you know, put just the right amount of sticks up on that altar. It was perfect. You should have seen that TP stick figure offering altar thing. It's not what it says. There's nothing that he did except for believe God. And the moment he did, God put his righteousness on him. Isn't that great? That's what he does for us. The moment we believe and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the way, the only way to the Father. I put my faith, my trust, I give my life to him. Something happens. Something miraculous, something spiritual, something everlasting, eternal. God puts his righteousness on us. And from that day forward, no weapon formed against us can prosper. It's worthy of a clap. Was that my son? Thank you. Thank you, son. I'll give you that $10 later. But do you hear what I'm saying? From that day on, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm just not, I don't know enough of God's word. That's not what it's about. That's what, that's not what that code of mail is about. Well, but I don't, I don't, I haven't even worked up to 30 minutes of prayer a day, much less an hour, much less 10 hours. Well, thank goodness it's not about that because we'd all be in trouble, right? There's nothing you can do. What can be done has already been done in and through Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Such good news. I want to show you something in Scripture. Turn to 1 Samuel 17. And I have my wife's Bible again. I don't know where I keep putting my Bible. Had it last week, then I lost it again. Can I show you something here? I think this is one of the best um, kind of story type examples of what we're talking about. And this is the story of the day that David was brave enough to go against Goliath. Okay? I like to use these simple stories that we're super familiar with to, some t- to, to help us with maybe a more difficult theological theme. Okay? Or point. So let's look at 1 Samuel, starting in verse 38. And let me just kind of back up the story a little bit so we don't have to read all of it. But you, you may know the story. Israel is set up against, Israel's on one side of the valley, and the Philistines are on the other side of the valley. The Philistines have this giant that comes out every day and defies God, um, blasphemes God, challenges Israel, and he's like nine foot tall. His armor and his spear is bigger than everybody, you know, and they're scared to death. And so day after day, listen to me, oh my goodness, day after day after day after day, they sit there doing nothing because of how afraid they are of the enemy. You know anybody like that? You ever been anyone like that? So there they are. Now David's a shepherd. We know the story. He's like 12, 13, maybe 14 years old. He's a shepherd, keeps the sheep. 
does it very well. And he comes up to his brothers to bring them some food. He's like, hey, dad sent me to get you guys some, you know, some bread. Of course, we know the story. His brothers make fun of him. Oh, you're not here to bring us bread. You're just here to brag or to show yourself or whatever. And David's like, man, what did I do? I came to bring you bread. You guys are ragging on me, you know. And then we know the story. He hears this Philistine giant. He's like, who is that out there defying God like this? Who is out there speaking to my God like this? And the guy's telling the story. There is this giant out there that nobody can take. Everybody's afraid of. He's like, I'm not afraid of him. I'll go out there. Okay, and this is where we're at. Verse 34. He goes to Saul and says, hey, I'll go out there and put my hand against the Philistines. And you may, you may know this, that, that um, his confidence comes from how God worked in his heart and his life before. Because he killed the bear. He killed the lion. Anyway, verse 38. Saul's like, okay. If you want to do this, you're crazy. You're obviously from the loony farm. And so in verse 38, it says that Saul, listen to me, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Now I'll pause right there. I don't know if you know much about Saul. But the guy, all the elevator didn't go to the top floor, okay? Okay. If you, if you know the story, we know that he was fearful, he was insecure, which, by the way, is why I believe the whole nation sat for days and days and days and days in fear against Goliath because their leader was fearful and insecure. It says that Saul dressed David in his own tunic, so you could look, you could look at it this way. Saul tried to put his own stuff on him. He put on a coat of armor, which would have been a breastplate. It would have been that coat of mail and a bronze helmet on his head. It says that David, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. In other words, he got something put on him that he wasn't used to. It was this armor. It was this coat of mail. Now you would think, well, I thought we were talking about the coat of mail. This is what we're supposed to put on. Listen to me carefully. He says, I cannot go out in these because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Now let me just pause and I'll ask you, what was David used to? He said, I fought the bear, I fought the lion when they came against my sheep. He's used to fighting. If he's not used to this fighting method, what was he used to? Somebody tell me. Huh? He's used to a slingshot. What good does that do, right? We're talking about a 10-foot giant out there and a little slingshot that can throw a rock. Really? I mean, if a kid, I mean, just really, if one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, you're going down. Um, my first thought is, are you serious? What is the chances of you being accurate enough to hit me anywhere where I would go down? What are the chances of that? Right? Isn't, I'm just being honest. As soon as you sling that thing, I'm going to duck. And then I'm going to come kick you. You know what I mean? I'm sure that that's what David was thinking. I mean, uh, Goliath was thinking. Anyway, he says, I can't fight in these. I'm not used to them. What, um, I asked you this. Nobody answered me. Well, that's right. You said um, slingshot. But think a little bit deeper. What was he used to? Let's read on and we'll find out. 
Then he took his own staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. In other words, not only is he a boy, he's a really good-looking kid. There's no way a good-looking kid with that kind of skin is going to be able to do anything significant out here. Right? Maybe if he had a few scars, maybe if he... Whatever, you know, whatever. Meanwhile, Philistine, blah, 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 and it says, David... He looked David over, saw that he was only a ruddy, handsome boy, and he despised him. And he said to David, I am, am I a dog that you would come out here with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods and said, Come here, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistines, you come against, and I'm going to insert this word here. You come against my flesh. He doesn't say this, but we know this is true. You come against me and my flesh with sword and spear and javelin. But I'm telling you this, I ain't coming to you in the flesh. You with me? It's not what he says, but I'm just kind of making it up as I go. He said, I come against you in the name of of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will hand you, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I love it. You can come against my flesh all day long, but I ain't fighting in the flesh. Something that's interesting as I was studying in this out, I never saw it before. But he says, I come against you in the name of the Lord. And that word name isn't, it doesn't mean like, uh, what the word actually means is I come against you with imputed power. (laughs) That's what it means. I didn't make it up. I'm coming against you with imputed power. In other words, what I come against you has nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with my God. And boy, are you in trouble. You guys hear what I'm saying? What are, we, what are we seeing here? We're seeing the breastplate of righteousness. He is moving forward, not in his own strength, not in his own might, not in his own understanding of warful tactics and all that. He is coming simply because he has a faith, an understanding of faith and knowledge and some experience that God is the one that fights for me. Isn't that good? I come against you with a power that has been put on me. By the way, if you know the story of David, we know that he's already been anointed at this point. Right? You guys remember that? Yes? The prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house and anointed him with oil. That means that he poured oil all over him, which for them back then that represented the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when they anointed him, it says, from that day forward, David, um, how does it say it? From that day forward, uh, I think it was like the power of God was upon David or something to that degree. I love that. Because what that tells us is that the reason that he was able to say such a thing and have such a confidence is because he 
was full of the Spirit of God. You see the dichotomy in Scripture in Paul's teaching. It's either flesh or spirit. It's either flesh or spirit. The battle we're talking about is a battle that is fought in the spirit. You guys hear what I'm saying? This is a young boy that was, that was walking in the spirit with the power of the spirit of God on him. And if you want to back it up even further than that, I say this all the time um, just because I love the thought of it. The first mention of David in Scripture was not even his name. The first time it mentions David in Scripture is the day Saul got fired and God said, I have sought out for myself a man after my own heart. He was talking about David. Way before David's fame, accomplishments, strings, ready good looks were ever mentioned, his heart was identified. Amen? If I could bottom line it, back to that thing is, where is your heart in this area? Is your heart connected to God? Has your heart ever been connected to God? Because it's going to be hard for any of this to really make sense or for you to walk forward with any of this if your heart's never been connected to God. For those of us whose hearts are connected to God, we understand enough. Remember what we've been, we've been studying. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And the schemes of the devil are strategically engineered to pull our hearts away from God. And when our heart is away from God, something that is very difficult for us to understand and certainly say is God fights for me. I will not fall. When your heart is distant from God, it's hard for us to declare, God fights for me. I will not fall. And instead of wielding the other armor of God and the sword and the this and that, we're, we're trying to protect ourselves and we're trying to, you know. No, 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 no. He imputed us with this built-in protection over our hearts. You guys see that? It's going to take something major, a major blow that is completely unguarded by the rest of your um, life to cause that kind of setback. You hear what I'm saying? I said that earlier. I'm saying it again. And we would have to be literally asleep to the war for the enemy to connect with that kind of a blow. The truth is, is there's some people that are asleep to the war. That's why we call this armor of God. Wake up to the war. And also know that you wake up to the war every day. So put on the full armor of God. Amen.